Again, we're glad you're here this evening. I've already told two people good morning, so I know it's the evening. And so I invite you to take a copy of God's Word. Look with us to our book of study in the book of John. Tonight we're in John chapter 3, beginning with verse 16. Book of John chapter 3, beginning with verse 16. We're studying this incredible book, this gospel account of our Lord Jesus Christ. John gives us more information than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He's given us information we don't have. We don't have this conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus. And so he's giving us insights into Jesus. We talked about it at the very beginning of our series, how that uh, John is talking to different groups. He's talking to the Jews. He's talking to the Greeks. He's talking to those about Gnosticism. We talked about that. Uh, we talked about he, he loves the images of light and darkness. And what he's trying to do, he tells us in his book, he says, I am writing this so that you will know that Jesus is God. I'm writing this so that you will know who Jesus is. And so in our text tonight, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a rabbi, famous rabbi. In fact, Jesus calls him the greatest teacher. In other words, he was the best teacher of all in Jerusalem. Nicodemus comes to Jesus to ask him a question. Now, we don't hear the question, we hear the answer. And Jesus is giving him the answer about how to come to God, how to have eternal life. And in this conversation, we come now to chapter 3, verse 16. Jesus has already given an Old Testament uh, story, how Moses raised up the bronze serpent that people, all they had to do was look at to be saved if they were been bitten by the snake. And we talked about that. And then Jesus says this, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, tonight as we look into your holy inspired word, as we look at a verse that for many of us is very common because we use it so often, but Father, I pray tonight that we'll see it afresh. The Father will never get used to this incredible verse of Scripture as we learn more about what the gospel is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. During the 2011-2012 playoffs in the National Football League, the Denver Broncos quarterback at that time, believe it or not, was Tim Tebow. Some of you might have remembered that game. What he did that night really became a media sensation because that night he led the Broncos to an amazing overtime victory over the favorite Pittsburgh Steelers. But something else occurred that night that the secular world noticed. Tim Tebow won the game, and he passed for 316 yards that night. He averaged 31.6 yards that night. The last 15 minutes of that game, that ratings was 31.6. You see a pattern? 
Now, if you don't remember Tim Tebow, Tim Tebow was a quarterback for the University of Florida who really did something that NCAA changed their rules. He put a Bible verse under his eyes. He had that, that black marker under his eyes, and he would put a Bible verse, and other players were doing it. Other players were putting something under their eyes, but Tim Tebow would put Bible verses, and they have something now called the Tim Tebow rule. You can't do that. But during the national championship game, he had John 3, 16 in the black smear beneath his eyes. That night, 90 million people Googled John 3, 16. Now, think about that. They saw John 3, 16 on the screen, and they thought, I wonder what that is. And they Googled John 3, 16. And here's Tim Tebow in the pros, as he was one of his last games as a quarterback, had all these numbers dealing with 316, and the media noticed it, that he had a 316 total yards. He averaged 31.6, and they said, you know, 316 must be really important to Tim Tebow. Well, I got news for them. 316 is important to all of us. This verse, John 316, if you do not know one Bible verse by memory, this is the verse you need to memorize. John 3.16 is a one-sentence summary of the most important truths of the Bible. John 3.16 gives the good news, the gospel, in only a few words. In fact, Martin Luther, the reformer, said of John 3.16, he called it the miniature gospel. This is all you really need to know to be saved. It tells us everything we need to know. It tells about the gospel in one verse. And not only that, it answers so many philosophies. All these different philosophies that we have around the world, this verse answers that, those philosophies. For example, it refutes atheism. Atheism says there is no God, but this verse says, but there is a God, for God so loved the world. It, it refutes fatalism. Fatalism that, that says that, that there's no personal involvement in a higher power. Things just happen. You have no control. There is no higher power up there. But this says there is a higher power that loves us, for God so loved the world. It, it refutes racism because some people say there are some races better than others. They're more favored than others. But this says that God loved the world. It refutes materialism. It says that life is all about getting more and more and more. And yet this verse says that God gave, not, to, not taking. It refutes legalism. Legalism says you, you can work your way into heaven. If you're good enough, you can get to heaven. But this says you need to believe to get to heaven. It refutes universalism. Universalism of belief that one day everyone will be saved uh, ultimately, but this verse says only those who believe in the name of Jesus. It refutes pluralism, which says that there are many paths to God. There are many ways you can get to heaven, but this says there's only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus. Oh, it refutes pessimism. It says there is no hope in the world, but this gives us hope. And it refutes humanism. It says there is no God at all, that this is life, and this is, once you die, that's all there is. But in this verse, it says there's eternal life. One verse of Scripture that answers all the different philosophies out there and tells us about God. So tonight, I want us to look at this verse. We're going to spend most of our time on this verse, and then we're going to look at the other few verses just for a few seconds. But I want you to notice this verse because it talks about God's love. It talks about God's love. Look at what it says about God's love. It tells us that God's love is personal. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
God so loved the world. Now, what does he mean by the world? Now, he doesn't mean the world system. We know that. The Bible says that's our enemy. That world system is our enemy. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the people in the world. God says, I love every person. John 3, 16 says, God so loved the world. Even the world that doesn't love him back. Even the world that turns their back on him. Even the world that that shakes their fist at him. Even the world that doesn't care about him. The Bible says that God still loves us. It's a love that we we don't even understand. God loves all people. I don't care who they are. Whoever you meet this week, God loves them. Whoever you meet next week, God loves them. Whoever you meet a year from today, God loves them. And he loves them just like he loves you. Now, when Nicodemus heard this, this is something he had never heard before. You see, the Jews believed that God loved the Israelites. God loved them, and they were the chosen people. But they could not believe that God loved other people. And they could not believe that God would love the Romans. And so here's Jesus saying, for God so loved the world. God loves everyone. He didn't say God just loved the Jews, but all. He didn't say that God just loved just certain people. He's, he loves them all. He doesn't just love those who are free. He loves them all. God loves all the people in the world. Now, this is amazing if you really start thinking about it, that God loves us. Because we're all messed up. Don't, don't look holy. We're messed up. We know that. That's what the Bible tells us, Romans 3.23. For we have all sinned, come short of the glory of God. We've all messed up, and God still loves us. And this is a personal love. There's a psychological term called the hidden self. The hidden self says that there's a part of you that no one knows, only you know about it. And you want to keep it hidden. Maybe it's your, the way you think. Maybe it's your feelings. There's something about your past. You don't want anyone to know about your hidden self. In fact, we do everything we can to keep our hidden self from being known. But the Bible says that God knows your hidden self, and he still loves you. This love of God is personal. Now, you may be here, and tonight you may be online. You're saying, wait, but I, I thought, what, what about this anger of God? It talks about the wrath of God. Where is God's love in that? It's there. God loves us so much, he doesn't want to stay the way we are. God loves us so much, and he's a holy God. He will bring his love. And John 3, 16 says that that God so loved everyone, even though we disobey him, even though we ignore him, God still loves us. But he is a holy God, and he must bring justice. He's a holy God, and in that personal love, he has provided a way for us to escape. In his anger, righteous anger, he has provided a way for every person on this planet to escape eternal hell. So don't, don't think that, that, that God does not love us, and don't think that God is not a holy God. He is both. In fact, I'll put it this way. You cannot understand Christianity apart from the love of God. If you don't understand the love of God, you'll never truly understand Christianity. And don't think God would love us if we change. No, a lot of people, well, if I just change, God would love me. No, God loves you now. You say, well, well, if I I change, God's going to love me more. No, no, that's impossible. God loves you now. God's God of love. He can't love you anymore. That's what John 3, 16 is saying. This is a personal love. He loves you, even the hidden self. There's a Scottish preacher from another generation named Alexander White. 
Alexander Wright, White said this about himself. He said, if people knew what I was thinking of or what was in my heart, some of them would spit in my face. Here's one of the greatest men of Christendom. And he said, there's still that hidden self. And even that we have that hidden self, even though that we have those secret actions, those secret thoughts, we want to stay hidden. God still knows all about them, and yet he still loves us. His love is personal. But secondly, it's priceless. For God's all over the world that he gave his only begotten son. God's love is priceless because he didn't love us in words only. He died for us. It was priceless. The love of God is not cheap. It's expensive. Jesus died for us. And I remind you as we go through the Gospels on, on Sunday nights, and I remind you as we look at some of the passages of the book of Luke, Jesus knew what was going to happen to him. Jesus knew his fate. He knew that he was going to go to the cross. He knew he would be tortured by the Romans. He knew he would be uh, nailed to the, that cross. He knew he would be hanging there. He knew he was going to die a very horrible death. And he did it for you and me. He paid a price. How priceless was it? Well, John says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, I'll be honest with you, we, I, you probably didn't use the word begotten this week, okay? There, there are certain words we, we don't use. And, uh, sometimes it's like the little child quoting this verse, his only forgotten son. Well, sometimes we forget that word. That's a very special word. It comes from, uh, it's a Greek word meaning from two things. It means one and, and means uh, only. It means one only. It comes from the idea of one and it comes from, the, we get the word gene, it comes from one family. In other words, there's only one unique person like Jesus. There's never been anyone else like Jesus. There will never be anyone else like Jesus. Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, God in the flesh. He is the only begotten son. He is the one and only unique. And by the way, you know this, if something is rare, it becomes more pricey, doesn't it? I was just talking to someone about that earlier today. If something is rare, the price goes up. And if it's one of a kind, it's going to be priceless. Well, Jesus is one of a kind. No one has, there's never will be, never has been anyone like Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know, sometimes I think we forget this. Jesus died for people that would never accept him. He died for the people that were nailing him to a cross. He died for the people that were jeering at him while he was on the cross. He died for the people that spit on his face. He died for the people that turned their backs on him. He died for all people. Now, there may be some people in your life that you would die for. There may be some people you can think of right now that I, I'm willing to die, maybe for, for family members or, or my, my best friend. But what about the person you can't stand? I, I doubt you would be willing to die for them. Well, Jesus was willing to die for all people with his priceless love. As Paul says in Romans chapter 5, at just the right time, when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And then Paul says, for rare, rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's a priceless love. That's a priceless gift. 
February 17th, 1941, Maximilian Kolbe, they called him the Apostle of Poland, was imprisoned by the Gestapo, taken to Auschwitz. While he was there, they had a rule in Auschwitz, if someone escaped, 10 men died. That was the rule. 10 random people died. And so one day in February, someone did escape. And so they took 10 random people. The 10th person they were dragging, and the man started crying out. He said, have mercy. I have a wife, and I have children. And Maximum Kobe raised his hand and said, I'll take his place. And he took his place. They put him in a room. They starved him to death, by the way. During that time, Kobe ministered to the others. He, he would sing hymns to them. He would minister to them. He would pray for them. One by one, they began to die. Kobe didn't die. In fact, actually, they had to inject him, inject him with poison because he didn't die quickly enough. And the Nazis recorded in their, their notebook, prisoner 16670 died on this day. The man he took his place survive Auschwitz he was telling a reporter the story he said on that particular day he said I spent the whole day thinking about prisoner 16670 who died for me he gave the most priceless gift imaginable he gave his life for me well that's what Jesus did for all of us he gave a priceless gift third this love is perfect this love is perfect God's love of the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him. This is a perfect love because it's perfect in reach. Did you notice what he says? He says, whoever, whoever, whoever believes. There are no qualifications here. It doesn't say you have to be a certain age, you have to be a certain race, you have to be a certain nationality. It doesn't have to, you have to have a certain IQ. It says, whoever, there is no limit to this love. We talked about it this morning. You know, many people think they're far from God's love. No, you're not far from God's love. God's love is right there. This is how close his love is. His love is perfect that whoever believes in him. Now, sometimes we see pictures of this kind of love, this, this love that, that, that crosses boundaries. I love, I love history and I, I love biographies. And, and William Booth, the founder of the, of the Salvation Army, is an incredible person. You ever get a chance to read his biography? On August 12, 1912, at the age of 83, he died. Now, this man in his lifetime traveled 5 million miles. He preached 60,000 sermons. He ministered to millions and millions and millions of people. At his funeral in West London, 40,000 people showed up lining the streets to honor William Booth. And in the crowd, they said they had the rich people, they had the poor people, they had all these types of people. They had the outcasts, they had the prostitutes, they had the lowlifes of London, they had the royalty. One of the qualifications, one of the uh, stipulations of his funeral, that it, the seating was first come, first served. And one of the strangest things of history, you had the Queen of England, Queen Mary, sitting at the funeral, sitting right next to a prostitute. By the way, that won't happen anymore. <laughs> and as the, the casket passed by the sea, this, this lady, this, this prostitute, took three uh, faded carnations and placed it on top of the casket. And she turned to the queen of England and she said, he cared for the likes of us. <laughs> William Booth loved no bounds. 
God's love was perfect in reach, but it's also perfect in responsibility because this love of God did it all. For God's love of the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. Do you realize what God has done? God has taken all the responsibility. You've heard me say it before, you know, the, the, you take all the religions in the world today, you take all the religions of history, and you can describe every religion by one word. That's the word do, D-O. Do this and live. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. All the religions have all these different rules. Do this, do this, do this. When you come to Christianity, which I don't think Christianity is a religion, I think it's a relationship. Christianity can be defined by one word, done. God's done it for you. What God gives us is a gift. He offers us a gift that we can accept. Now, I know some people every now and then say, well, that's the same thing. No, it's not. Uh, There's a big difference when our kids were young to say, I want you to clean your room and I'll pay you as opposed to here's your allowance if you want it. Big difference. Well, here's what God does. He offers us free free his, his salvation as a gift. This love is perfect in responsibility. Now, what does he mean by believe? Does he mean believe in some facts? No. I mean, it's not talking about intellectual knowledge. He's talking about putting your life in something. He's talking about believing and and putting everything upon it. The the word is used when you sit in a chair. The the word faith, you you don't believe that chair will hold you up until you sit down in the chair. That's what God says. When you believe, when you put your faith in Christ— You'll have eternal life. This love is perfect in its responsibility. Alexander the Great, physician, a friend, was named Philip. Alexander the Great was very sick, and Philip came to him and gave him some medicine. Well, about that same time, Darius the Third, a Persian king, offered a thousand talents for anyone to kill Alexander. I mean, that's a thousand annual wages. And the rumor was that. Alexander's doctor, Philip, was going to poison Alexander. And someone sent Alexander a letter saying, your doctor, your best friend, is going to poison you. And Philip comes into the tent, and he gives Alexander the the medicine. Alexander hands him a letter. And while he's reading the letter, this letter saying, your friend Philip is going to poison you, there is Alexander drinking the medicine. Why did he do it? Because he believed in Philip. He believed in him enough that he risked his life. That's what belief is. When you believe in Christ, you believe in everything. You give everything to him. It means you act upon it. It doesn't mean just intellectual knowledge. You can have intellectual knowledge about Jesus and not be saved. He doesn't say whoever just knows some facts. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say whoever does some good works. No, he doesn't say that. No, whoever uh, desires it. It doesn't say that. He says, he who believes enough to put their faith, to put their life in Jesus, they are going to be saved. This is perfect in responsibility. But also, this love is permanent. It's permanent. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life. Now, in this world, you may doubt people's love. You may doubt the love of your parents. You may doubt the love of your children. You may doubt the love of your spouse. You may doubt the love of your cat. Okay, no one has a cat that loves them, okay? But you may doubt the love of your dog. But we doubt sometimes love. Because we know that sometimes love can go away. 
But this verse says, we have eternal life. You know what this means? God's love is eternal. I said it earlier in this sermon, God cannot love you any more than he loves you now, and he cannot love you any less in the future. That's his character. And other people's love may falter, but God's love will never falter. And that's what it says here. This verse begins with eternity, and it ends with eternity. Did you notice that? It begins with God who has no beginning or ending, and it ends with a promise of eternal life of no ending. This love will last forever. This love of God does not wind down. It does not become weaker with time. This love is everlasting. It's permanent. This is an incredible verse. No, no human author could write this verse. Someone said it this way about the verse. I gave it years ago. And For God, the greatest lover, so love, the greatest degree, the world, the greatest company, that he gave, the greatest act, his only begotten son, the greatest gift, that whoever, the greatest opportunity, Believes the greatest simplicity in him, the greatest attraction, should not perish the greatest promise, but the greatest difference, have the greatest certainty, everlasting life, the greatest possession. This is an incredible verse. But what if you don't do it? What if you don't accept what he offers? Look at verse 17. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, that the world might be saved through him. He said, look, Jesus came to save us. Verse 18. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Do you you hear what he's saying? Believe in the Son of God means we're not condemned. Believe in the Son of God means we have eternal life. But if we don't believe in Him, we're condemned already because of our life. We're sinners. If we don't believe already, we have condemned, we're already condemned because of who we are. I mean, this is Nicodemus. Nicodemus is condemned. He's a great teacher. He understands the Bible, but he hasn't trusted Christ yet. Verse 19. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds are evil. He says, we know that we are condemned because Jesus is the light, and he's come into the world for people to believe. And Jesus is exposing that man is condemned already because we live in darkness. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Christ has come into the world. And men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds are evil. Again, John says, we see the light and the darkness here. Jesus came to bring light into the world. But if you don't accept Christ, you are living in the darkness. And people would rather live in the darkness because their works are evil. And God is sending Jesus to save us, but also to expose us. That is the light. When Christ came, he exposes our sinfulness. Verse 20. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Hating the light means that there are people apart from Christ. They don't like the light. The world doesn't like Jesus. 
Jesus is the light that John is talking about. People in darkness are not ignorant. They just don't want to be in the light. They like their evilness. They like their sinfulness. People without Christ are rebelling against God. Listen, before you became a Christian, if you're a believer here tonight, if you're a believer online, before you became a Christian, you were guilty of cosmic treason because we were in the darkness. But by giving our life to Christ, we are now in the light. This is us with saving faith. But there are people without saving faith, and they rejected Christ. Verse 21 but he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Faith in Christ produces truth. And here's what John, this is what he's saying. He's saying those who are really interested in the truth, they're going to find Christ. They're going to find him. Those who are seeking the truth are going to find him. They're going to be exposed to the light. And then they have that opportunity to give their life to Christ. Because salvation comes from grace alone in Christ. That's the only way you can be saved. Salvation comes grace alone, by faith, by grace alone. And so he says in verse 21, but he who practices the truth comes to the light. So that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. What he's saying is, you're not going to be saved by your deeds, you're going to be saved by your faith. But that person who's seeking truth will find the light. Because God's light is shining forth everywhere. There's a story. It's based on fact. It's not totally true, but it is based on fact. About a German painter in the 1800s. Painted a piece called Checkmate. True, true piece of art. You can look it up. It's a, the scene is a, a man seated on the right hand playing chess against the devil. The idea of checkmate is the devil's going to win. The title of the, the painting. It's hanging in the museum. Paul uh, Morphy was, was a great chess champion. He was visiting that, that museum one night. And he looked at it. He looked at the chessboard. He said, something's wrong. They brought him a chess set. He, he set up the chess pieces. He brought in the owner of the museum. He said, you need to change the title of this painting or take it down. It's not checkmate. There's still another move they can make. It's not hopeless. It's not checkmate. He has a way out of this. 2,000 years ago when Jesus was on the cross, it looked like Satan won. It looked like everything was hopeless. The disciples saw Jesus die. They saw their hopes, dreams go away. The sky turned dark and there was an earthquake and lightning and there was silence. And for a short time, it looked as if the devil had won. That he had checkmate against almighty God. But it wasn't over yet. And three days later, Jesus came out of the tomb to give us life. He died for us because of this love. My question for you tonight, have you, by your personal faith, given your life to Jesus? If not, will you do it tonight? By admitting that you're a sinner, saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. I've, I've been living in the darkness. I, I, I like the darkness, and I'm tired of it. 
by believing that Jesus did come and die for you, that you believe not just with your mind, but you believe with your heart that he is God and you are willing to do anything, and that's confessing you give him everything. Would you do that tonight? If you're online, if, if you want to give your life to Christ, text the word today at 270-398-5005, and a minister will give you a call to talk about your decision. But if you're here tonight and if you would like to make a decision, as we begin singing, we just come to the front and talk to me or one of the ministers. Would you stand by your heads? John says that truth will bring you to Christ, but only faith will save you through Christ. And so tonight, I want you to first of all realize that God loves you. You see, you may be thinking God doesn't love you. Maybe you did something, you thought something. Maybe your hidden self, that part of you that you're afraid that will be revealed someday. Well, God knows all about it, and he still loves you. And he sees in you potential. And he wants to spend eternity with you. That's why he sent Jesus to die for you. This perfect gift, this priceless gift, was given because of love. So tonight, will you give your life to him? Jesus has done it all for us. He's made it really easy. He's simply offering a gift, the gift of eternal life that we either accept or we reject. So tonight, will you accept it? Father, speak to us now with clarity. And Father, I pray that our hearts will be on you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.